You're listening to the City Network Podcast. Our mission is to grow and multiply healthy churches in the Treasure Valley and beyond. Head to thecitynetwork.org for more info on our initiatives to catalyze church transformation and church planting. Here's today's podcast. All right, welcome. Welcome to the City Network Podcast. It's been a while. It's been a COVID while since we have had a new episode, but we're really excited about what's happening this spring. We've got a couple of really cool things coming up. Um, I got with me Rob Wagner, who is the co-founder of Disciples Made and of Casey Underground, and he's been a, I call him my disciple-making sensei. Like I just watch him and do what he does wax as on. he follows Jesus or as wax he follows on. whoever. Yeah. Okay. Wax on, wax off. We got it. <laughs> um, but w- Rob's just been a huge help. And uh, I've been working with some people locally here in Boise to help kind of take what they're doing with the underground and creating some, uh, some seedlings, what we call the syndicate, which is the, the, the five families working together to resource and equip multi uh i uh, sorry micro church expressions here in the valley there's really cool stuff happening with that but thank you so much for being with us today rob i'm really glad to be here and i'm really looking forward to coming to boise for the very first time in my life never been there man and getting to hang with the syndicate it's going to change your life man when you're here you're you're that i hear bar's and pretty hot man you're coming like one of the best weeks, like weather wise, you're going to, it's going to be like in the seventies, there's still going to be snow on the mountains. It's going to be beautiful. Um, but so, Rob's coming on April 26th and 27th for a couple of events um, with our spring citywide gathering at true hope church from 10 to two on the 27th. So hopefully you can join us for that. And I've asked him on, cause first of all, I just love hanging out with Rob. So it's awesome to be together. And okay. second um, he's got the new book out called the starfish and the spirit, which I think is going to be one of those books that you keep recommending 10 years from now, because what he's telling you in this is going to be so revolutionary. That you're not going to stop thinking about it. He took what Ori Braffman did with the starfish and the spider and really took it to the next level and said, what does that mean for people who follow the way of Jesus? So, Hey, and you know what? Ori, who's, you know, a tenured professor at Berkeley, the bastion of secular humanism in America. I mean, he would tell you because he's actually a scholar that Jesus is the origin point for starfish leadership. The church was the first breakout starfish movement of like egalitarian, decentralized, ordinary people movement that literally eventually caused the empire. Well, let's, let's, let's start there. Like, I, I think that that's an important piece because what you're drawing upon, I think what every Christian leader is always trying to do is try to go back to the first two centuries of the church and recapture the missionary movement. How has that played a, a role in your work with Casey Underground, the work that you're thinking about in terms of disciple-making movements and this book? Like, how does the early church play into that? Yeah, there's always that tension of what's uh, descriptive and what's prescriptive. And uh, I think if we, uh, we especially hold, uh, of course, the Gospels in highest regard. Um, But the book of Ephesians has been profoundly important for us as the underground in terms of, this is the way I describe it. You know, if you were to ask Paul, 
What did Jesus have in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Ephesians is his answer. Most of his books are very contextual, very specific. Uh, I, <laughs> it's like there, there's crazy stuff going on with some crazy people at a crazy church. So Paul's got to get involved. He's like, let's write a letter. <laughs> it's most with, mostly what the epistles are, but Ephesians isn't that. And in fact, Ephesus, that isn't even in the oldest copies we have. It was really meant to be a very universal document. And Paul's shifting into another mode. It's constitutional. And so as long as we don't hyper fixate on um, taking things that are descriptive and making them prescriptive, uh, of course, we have the archetype for what it means to be the church between Ephesians and the book of Acts. And so much of what we've come to know as church, it's extra biblical. It doesn't mean it's unbiblical or anti-biblical, although sometimes they are. <laughs> I got to be honest about that but it's extra biblical. So just things like having a building, having a professional paid pastor, the way that you all know, first Corinthians 15, isn't that where it talks about how, you know, you sing three songs and then there's a sermon. And then after that, there's <laughs> That's the liturgy part. We get the liturgy and it's just like plug and play. You choose the song, but you have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have these forms that are so normative for us um, that of course, culturally have been crumbling for a long time. And then COVID now has just accelerated it. And when you, when you begin to study the bigger picture of the history of the church, you see this more primal form of it is always present in every age of the church. It's usually at the margins, but what's unusual about our time in history is uh, with organizations like 2414, um, they exist to actually measure and research and understand the more than 3,500 disciple making movements slash church planning movements that are engaged of those, there's more than 1400, I believe right now that they would say it meets all the kind of criteria for a real disciple making movement, which we can get into that if you want to. Um, but it's actually the greatest hour in the history of the church. So right now, it's as if the book of Acts, and actually a lot of these are more significant than the book of Acts. I know that sounds maybe heretical to say, but it's Jesus saying, you're going to do greater things than I did. Definitely. Guess what? He was right. And it's happening. It's like the book of Acts happening 1400 times in different places at the same time right now. Yeah. And we're the first generation that can observe that and learn well, from that. And, and I think that what, what you're speaking to is like, in, in past generations, there haven't been all the modes that we can communicate and see what's happening. And so there's yeah. always a singular narrative in, in media, in books, in kind of popular imagination about what's happening in the world. But what you're describing is like, we're, you're pulling back the curtain and a bunch of people are doing the research to say, okay, what happens on the ground when God works in powerful ways in all these different yeah. places? And it's right. not big institutions that are the gatekeepers of those things, because the the cost of communication, the cost of travel, the cost of translation keeps being pushed down so that you can see this like from the ground, these things start to yes. up. So where are you seeing, like when you think about disciple making movements, who have been the ones that have most inspired you and um, shaped what is becoming the Kansas City and the underground movement? Um, personally for uh, my wife, Michelle and I, we served in a mega church in Indiana. And about 10 years into that journey, my role shifted primarily, mobilize our people, 
locally, particularly in the inner city of South Bend and then internationally. And there was a guy who was my mentor at the time, a Gandalf of church planning movements. And uh, he's, he was like a Barnabas. And I, I know he's personally mentored, I think, four or five dozen Pauls in different nations around the world. And he, at that time when we were building our global mission efforts, he was working with seven Pauls in Southern Asia that he was bringing together into a network. And he said, uh, he invited me to the first meeting. And I was like, whoa, all right, you know. And, uh, and they basically were strategizing on a plan for what you could call gospel saturation in Southern India. So literally, okay, every unreached village that doesn't have a gospel witness, every unreached people group, what's it going to take? See, that's different. I wasn't even thinking about that in South Bend, Indiana. Let me be honest. It was like. Because you were focused oh. on making Sundays happen and growing your church and taking care of the people in front of you. And you were just doing the narrative you'd been given. Yeah. Yeah. And we were doing good work. I mean, it was like we had probably 500 people who were meeting Jesus and being baptized every year. But it just changed the whole frame. It was like, oh, I could keep doing this and we'd still be losing in our city. I'm not okay with that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and uh, so, yeah, this is going to that's when I started to realize, like, we need networks. <laughs> like if we we're going to start thinking about our city, we're going to change the story in our city, actually make a dent in the lostness, actually make our city a better place. It's ridiculous. I can't be thinking about this as one one congregation. That's so arrogant, you know. And um, so anyway, back in India. It starts with these seven equippers. They're all indigenous leaders. Um, a couple of them are more admin. So it's like five of them had been church planners and had little networks of church planning and done some church planner training, but they all came together and I got to be there from the very beginning. And our church got to go on this ride with them. And they started out by training 30 ordinary people, you know, uh, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. And there's these five modules of training over a year. And you have a coach who's a successful practitioner. And uh, and like anything that becomes a movement, at first, it's very unimpressive. I mean, it's very exciting. They're coming back and saying, oh, you know, 12 people in our village met Jesus and all the village elders believed. And then, then it was 30. And now it's like half the village. And you're like, whoa, this is amazing. But a year three, four, and five, the exponential math started kicking in. And then it it went bonkers. So in 10 years, it was 2000 plus microchurches, conservatively 180,000 new disciples. And we weren't even counting things that happened as offshoots. Like one of those guys that we had trained maybe three or four generations in got connected with another group that he went and trained. And I know they planted more churches than we did. (laughs) It was like 5,000 churches, but we didn't even count that on our dashboard. And so it's all ordinary people, hardly anybody's paid. There's some apostolic trainers that are paid to, and there's some coaches with some honorariums, but everyone's got a day job. And it's it's ordinary folks making disciples uh, in these unreached pockets of people. And the power of God, you know, half the people who are meeting Jesus is through some flat out miracle. Well, it just, it, it changed everything for me. It was like, you can't go back. I can't go back. I've been walking around the book of Acts. I can't go back. <laughs> and so, I would go back to my mega church and I'd feel sad. 
was there a moment where like you realized I have to go do something? Like, was there like a come to Jesus Kairos boom? Yeah, there, there were a few of them, you know, a few really profound. Um, well, first of all, I'll, I'll tell you quick snapshots. So I had been doing exploratory trips to different places. We knew we wanted to work among unreached people groups. We knew it was going to be church planning. You know, I got off the plane in India and I hit the bottom of the tarmac and I'm super exhausted after the flight. It's a hundred and something degrees. You got the smell of curry and, uh, and there's, and I was one of the last people off the plane. So there is literally no one behind me except for the crew and they're up at the top. And I hear as clear as day, welcome home. I'm looking around, I'm going, who said that? And uh, and then I go to this meeting with these guys and I knew Jesus was saying, welcome home. Um, I don't share that to like, uh, it's not bragging. It's just, it's, it was like a baptism. Like I had no, like this isn't, okay, this doesn't fit. <laughs> what is going on and and then there was another moment um where there's this we're actually putting a little video about this out it'll be out next week a woman named martha who was a stay-at-home mom and um she'd do her motherly duties bring her kids to school and then she felt called to the prostitutes in her town it's a town with a big sex trafficking industry because it was on interstate and um she was in the training and i was doing some of the training with uh, some of the leaders there. And Michelle and I really just fell in love with her. Got to see her through these different modules and hear her stories that unfolded. And she ended up like leading a network of microchurches that was made up of former prostitutes and their families. They pulled their money and started a new business, uh, seamstress tailoring so they could be employed. And watching this story unfold over about a year and a half, I remember at one point, I went home and we're doing a series on volunteerism. You know, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, It doesn't matter. But I remember sitting here thinking if Martha was in the church that I'm leading here in Indiana, she would never end up a leader, uh, a network leader of micro churches. Our system doesn't lead there. Like it would end, she'd end up being a volunteer in a program. And, and I remember it broke me because I realized how many Marthas are here and we have no pathway. We have really no equipping. We have great weekend services and great volunteers and great small groups. And God is working through all that. I'm not saying, but I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, you know, and so we started, um, this would have been almost 15 years now. Like let's start a cohort. Like let's do what we're doing in, India and do it here in Indiana. And what was amazing is it was bumpy and there was a lot of failure, but the same sort of thing started happening. It was like ordinary people started making disciples and a little micro church grew up around quilting between, and it brought together like these women who were in the upper middle-class suburbs with women in the inner city. And it just began to take off. And another one was around a skate park. And another one was a soccer team. And it was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so yeah, that's for me, it was that movement in India um, and having a long enough exposure, you know, um, over time 
to see and feel the difference between a disciple making movement and kind of church as usual in America. Yeah. So walk me through what changed for you and your, your calling, your ministry from, because before I planted, I was a campus pastor for a mega church. And so I lived that life. I know what that's like. What, what did it look like for you to change your life from I run programs and I make Sundays happen to I want to do the things that are going to transform into a disciple making movement? Like what changed about your life and your ministry? Well, I did have another Kairos moment was I had been a real good Michelle. I've been really good missionaries when we lived in an apartment and then we moved to this other neighborhood and we ended up being a pretty great missionaries there. But then we moved to this third place and it was right when the church was like exploding in growth and my job changed. So I was spending a lot more time in the inner city in India. And there's some years I'm spending two or three months in India. So I'm gone a lot, you know, and I was just doing nothing in my own neighborhood and didn't care. Honestly, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, you know, to thousands of people and working with the arts team. And then I'm working in the inner city and creating this coalition of people working together, help the inner city. And I'm in India. And I remember one day staying at the end of my driveway and I don't know how it happened. It was just the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I, I was looking at some, some family, a couple houses down and I realized they could die. And I would I know this is really morbid. It's like they could die and fall off the face of the earth. And I don't, I don't even know their names. And I realized Jesus wouldn't live this way. And it was really the presence of kind of my brothers and sisters back in India again um that was like speaking to me like i'm i'm a terrible missionary and i went in and i talked to my michelle about it she was actually a way better missionary then than i was because of her roles with mom and with our kids and it, i think it was probably her idea it's like we're just going to open up our kitchen table so at dinner that night we said to our kids hey we want you to start inviting your friends at least a couple times a week and they were like yeah and also we had this parade of kids that were coming into our home and um and then we started this thing in our backyard a couple of times a month at first where it was like s'mores on Friday at the fire pit, you know, and parents started coming and we started getting into people's lives. Like one of the families across the street, their daughter attempted suicide. They called us, you know what I mean? Another guy owned a painting business was having a crisis. I don't want to paint the rest of my life. And, the, and we're painting at my house and we're talking for two hours about calling and then Jesus, you know, and it was amazing what started to happen. You know, another family, there's, we find out there's functional alcoholics there, you know, and they're, these kids may be taken away. And then we're brought into that conversation and you're, and suddenly it's, it, it was like, wow, we're, we're in the middle of a new disciple making movement in our neighborhood. It's not a movement yet. You know, I don't want to oversell it, but that was a key moment, you know, and what happened was I had enough freedom because I'd been at that church for so long that, um, I could propose like, Hey, can we start a skunk works, you know? And, um, and I got a green light for that, you know? And then uh, there was something that was eventually called future travelers. That was a learning community that exponential offered. And before it was organized into something, it was more informal. And uh, so then me and a two uh, Mark, who was our lead pastor and Tim who was our executive pastor. We got into that. And then, so now we're in this, kind of year-long journey with other leaders who are feeling the same tension. And Alan Hirsch is doing his, you know, missional Yoda work on us. Yeah. 
Um, so what I'm trying to say is start with your personal life. Mm-hmm. Like don't start organizationally, you know, start where the Lord has sent you. It might be where you live or it might be a place that you play and, and do it with, if you're married, if you have kids do it together as a family and don't worry about changing anything for a year, except let Jesus change you and your story. And then when you start something like go get some help, get some coaching, get some outside input from someone who's a little further down the road, either paradigm wise or practically, preferably both. Mm -hmm. Um, And then thirdly, when you start something organizational, start something small and on the side, you don't have to burn the whole thing down. Don't try to do it through a weekend service series. <laughs> you know, like, no, you're not just, gonna just it that preach way. on how to be missional and then people get it. I don't understand, Rob. If I can't preach on it, it's not going to happen, right? <laughs> what a, so, do it uh, for three years and then preach on it. It'll work. Yeah, yeah. So we get, let's say we got five minutes left before we got to roll out of here. I just want to, before you come, hear a little bit about what you're learning as you've been launching Kansas City Underground the last two years. What's what's changed about your approach and what's clarified as you've done it? Yeah, you know, um, it's been the most fun I've ever had in my life. And uh, it's also, you know, probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my life, you know. And uh, so learnings. Uh, One is a major breakthrough for us that brought a lot of clarity to our training and equipping is something we call the missionary pathway. And this actually comes out of the work of guys like David Watson and David Garrison. So David Watson was with city teams and then new generations. They they were studying these DMMs and starting DMMs around the world. And Garrison was more on the church planning movement side of things. And the way it works is it starts as a disciple making movement and then it becomes a church planning movement. The problem in the West is like we're trying to do church planning movements and we're doing it through an expensive, unscalable model. And then hopefully we'll do some disciple making on the backside. But a lot of times it doesn't happen. And that's why we're not seeing any change. Yep. So what we had the opportunity to do with the underground is to say we're starting as a disciple making movement. And so the missionary pathway is five phases uh, that any movement goes through or any missionary goes through in the process of planting the gospel making new disciples, and then seeing churches emerge. So we don't plant churches in the Kansas City Underground. We plant missionaries who plant the gospel and make new disciples. So it it's ground up disciple making. Um, and that has been such um, a joy. And it's also, we've even though we've all been drinking this Kool-Aid for a decade, like uh, having a chance to actually do it from the ground up. And it we've gone really slow, um, on purpose. Um, so for example, you know, early on we launched with launched with what we would call 72 missionaries. These are people that are committing. And these are folks that we had been through some significant discipleship, but there was still a number of them in the beginning where it's like, Hey, can you just organize us and, and put us into micro churches? Well, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, just start a spreadsheet and tell me where to show up on what night. Yeah. (laughs) But we just, we're like, that's not, no, we can't do it. And it was the first chance where you could just go, we're not going to do it. But it's also scary because it's like, well, they may all leave. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're not giving me what, but these people were amazing. And we lost some people, but mostly we just said, hey, listen, you can have a partner or a few people on a team, but we're sending you as missionaries to plant yourselves and plant the gospel. Most of you are already where 
you're planted. You don't have to go anywhere new, you know, and plant the gospel, make new disciples. And it was this crazy experiment. I wonder if this is going to work. I wonder if anyone's actually, if we just do this and it's been crazy. You know, we've had a thousand percent increase in microchurches in two years. Now, don't get too excited. We went from three to 32. You know, it's not like there's hundreds of them yet. I mean, that's that's something but, to talk about. But, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and we were hoping, you know, technically a DMM, you have to get to 100 expressions of church, you know, in two years. So we didn't quite make it. In fact, we only got 30 percent of the way there. But there's some people in the DMM field that give you up to five years. So take so what you can like, get, man. <laughs> so like we really are praying we would become a disciple making movement and not change the definition. Like let's use the one that's developed over the last four decades that's actually happening in the majority world. Um, and that's the problem is the word movement has become a buzzword that gets used about anything. So we're trying to basically say we're building off of the MDNA and the forgotten ways. That's kind of phenomenological, theological, sort of philosophical. But yep. then we're looking at the disciple making movements around the world and the the work that's developed. And we're saying there are mentors. That's why we're the underground church. It's like those those are our leaders. Like we want to live up to their name. And yeah, not in a way that's like we're, we're just copycatting. You know, it looks different in America, you know. Um, but there's these translocal kind of transcultural pieces, you know, and the missionary pathways basically extraordinary prayer and fasting, phase one. Phase two is live as a missionary. Phase three is plant the gospel. Phase four is microchurch emerges. And phase five is multiplication. So we have tools and training at each one of the phases. And then we have equipping teams that intersect missionaries along their journey through the missionary pathway. And that's been just a huge breakthrough. We didn't have that when we started. That was something that we implemented maybe six months into our journey. And, uh, uh, and again, we basically just took what they were doing there and contextualized it for here, but it's been super fruitful. So if you're going to ask me, like, what's the one thing from the first two years, I'd say missionary pathway. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. We took 40 people with the syndicate who some some are kind of people who are emerging as missional leaders. Some are people who are doing micro church and they're trying to figure out how to how to multiply. And we took it. We took 40 people through it. And it's been a transformational piece for people to get a framework and kind of like, OK, how do we get there? So thank you for developing that and making it so you know easily available online. Um, That's I'm right. Put, it's free. Go check it out. It is free, which, you know, finding something really good that's free is difficult. So Rob's going to be here April 26th and 27th. We've got, um, we're going to be putting, Syndicate's going to be hosting something on Monday night, the 26th. 27th, Rob's going to be here with the Sing Network and Treasure the Valley and the syndicate doing a, a training on what does it look like to build disciple making movements from the ground up and sharing what he's been learning. So thank you so much, Rob, for being on today. Really appreciate you, friend, and excited about showing you around my hometown. I can't wait, man. I love you and respect you and the syndicate so much. It is family to me. I feel like the Kansas City Underground and the syndicate are, it's the same family tree. And so there's, I can't wait to be there. Can't wait, man. Yeah, me too. All right. So those of you who are online, thanks for joining us today. And podcast listeners, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening to the City Network Podcast. If you have any comments or questions, join the discussion on our Facebook group at thecitynetwork.org slash group. Or sign up at the website to subscribe to updates from our blog and podcast.